0: 169 years, he became the preacher. Thank you. Well, I have to say, Rhonda was meant to read that today. Uh, Unfortunately, she couldn't make it. As she'd said to me, I'd been practicing all the names and everything, and then she passed it on to Michael. So thank you, Michael, uh, for reading that. Um, For those of you who are asleep, please wake up now, nudge the person next to you, and you're probably thinking, what is going to happen now? What are you going to do with that? Well, I can guarantee we're going to do something with it, uh, and hopefully it will be a little somewhat enlightening. So we're going to pray and, uh, and then we're going to have a little game of who am I? just to wake you up. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, beautiful word. Thank you that uh, every word in the Bible, regardless of whether we can see overtly and, and straight away. Uh, its meaning has great meaning that you have put it there purposefully and we can come with great confidence knowing that there is a great meaning and a great revelation of you behind every word in the bible so father god as we open this genealogy today we pray that you will bless us we pray that you will help us uh, to be able to see the truth behind this but more than anything lord we just want to see you and we pray this morning we will be encouraged and we will be challenged. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's play a little Who Am I? And no one in the board can play because I think you know the next slide. Uh, so, Who Am I? Or What Am I? I'm a website that was officially launched in nine. And feel free to yell out, church can be two-way, in 1997, when I say it can. Uh, Over 1 billion searches are handled by my servers every month. Last year, I was sold for 4.7 billion US dollars. Google? Google. No, 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 I said 1 billion searches every month. They're 3.5 billion every day. So sorry about that. I, I knew that was coming, so I had to do the research on Google as well. I have over 3 million subscribers, each paying anything up to $600 a year to use me. Spoiler. (laughs) I'm not going to say it for the people at home. They can't hear you. I have over 27 billion historical records on my servers There are over 330 million user-generated photos, scanned documents, and written stories on my servers. The big question I answer is, who are you? And thank you, Michael. I am Ancestry.com. Ancestry.com. That's their webpage. It also has over 2 billion genealogy records, 100 million family trees, and over 18 million people in their DNA database. I bet you many of you have been on there or are doing some stuff on there. The executive vice president and chief people officer, Evan Wittenberg, says, I've never worked at a place that's more connected to a purpose. Testimonials on their website, well, for Catherine, she thought she'd married an Italian. Turns out he's more Eastern European. For Heidi, when she discovered that her grandfather had gone to the US from Poland and been arrested for bootlegging liquor, she no longer felt like the only oddball in her family. These are from their website. James says, through Ancestry, I discovered my family were always connected to the sea. Now I know why I am like I am. See, Ancestry.com is a tool to build your genealogy. Also, according to the statements on the website, learning the stories of people in our pasts can help us understand where we really belong. There could be more to your story. Piece it together with Ancestry.com. And it says, unlock the family story in your DNA. Notice this word story over and over again. Over a billion times a month, people are trying to understand their stories. They're trying to understand who they are, what makes them, by reconstructing their family histories and understanding the stories of their family. Well, today we are confronted with this genealogy And its primary purpose is to help those in the future understand who they are. That's because, as Ancestry says, learning the stories of people in our pasts can help us understand where we really belong. Now before you uh, continue to think, yeah, but it's a genealogy, what's going to happen here? I want you to just hang in here. Okay, we're going to look at only parts of the text. And I'm not actually going to look at some controversial things because I think they're sidetracks. But I think this has a great deal to tell us about God and about who we are. It's a very important chapter of the Bible. And the first thing we should recognise here is that genealogies, along with the stories of the past that the Bible has, along with other statements which are repeated over and over again are markers, and they're markers which connect the past, the present, and the future. And the genealogies here, along with these other things, have great purpose in the book of Genesis. And in fact, they have great purpose in the Bible. They are integral in the the generational accounts to help us understand the lineage of God's people. And chapter 5 here starts with a statement that is a clear marker which leads into this genealogy. Now, I don't have it up behind me, but let me just read it to you. This is the written account of Adam's family line. Now, I'm not sure if you read a few weeks ago. Uh, A local history enthusiast was walking through Belgium uh, and he noticed that the stone which acted as the marker between Belgium and France had been moved 2.29 metres. Sounds like an exciting life he leads. Well, a farmer in Belgium had had enough of it getting in the way of his tractor, so he just picked it up and he moved the 2.29 metres further into the French territory. This is only this year that it was discovered. In effect, he'd made an invasion of France. He'd moved this marker and suddenly the Belgium territory has increased and the France territory has decreased. The mayor of Belgium in that area was overjoyed. The mayor of the French territory wasn't so much overjoyed. See, boundary markers have always been an important way of how we identify owners of land. And these days... We still do it, but we don't put boundary markers in. We build eight-foot colour-bond fences to keep everyone out. But we still have markers. Which land is yours? Which people group? Which clans? It's always been the same. And the statements that begin the accounts of each family in Genesis are markers. And this is a marker. This is the written account of Adam's family line. Now I'm just going to give you a brief overview of this and you won't be able to see that. Uh, Oh, we've got that back up. Hopefully you can see it. But there are clear markers that are going on here. Uh, Back in chapter 2, verse 4, and there's there's a bit of controversy whether there's two markers or one marker, but effectively we've got the history of heaven and earth. Now that has no lineage. That was breathed out by God. And this is the creation of the world. And in chapter 2, verse 4, we're told this. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. And then here in chapter 5, we have this marker of Adam's line. In chapter 6, verse 9, and we'll talk more about Noah next week and the week after, it says this is the account of Noah and his family. In chapter 10, verse 1, This is the account of Shem, Ham and Japheth, Noah's sons. Chapter 11, verse 10, this is the account of Shem's family line. Chapter 11, verse 27, this is the account of Terah's family line. Chapter 25, verse 12, this is the account of the family line of Ishmael. Uh, In verse 19 of chapter 25, this is the account of the family line of Isaac, Chapter 36, this is the account of the family line of Esau. And chapter 37, verse 2, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Now sometimes it's just a genealogy, other times it's filled with stories. And we see that the next one after this is Noah's family line. And then that goes all the way through chapter, chapter 9 because of the great event of, uh, of the flood and how important that was for the history of the world and to understand who we are. See, Genesis 5 begins a marker of the lineage and account of Adam's family line. It begins with a summary, but notice it's the lineage not just of Adam's firstborn son, Cain. I don't know if you noticed that. It's almost like because of what we looked at last week, Cain has been sidelined and Seth is now the chosen one in order for the promises and, and the lineage uh, to be accounted through. Now the reason for this is at the heart of the purpose of these genealogies. If you remember in the previous few weeks, Genesis was written sometime after the Exodus and sometime before Moses' death. It was written for the Israelites who have been set apart as God's people are going to enter into the promised land to live as God's people under God's rule in his presence in the land that he has given them, the land flowing with milk and honey. And the big question they're asking, well, who are we? Who is this God? And how did we get here and what's happening? What are our origins? And knowing the family line has always been critical to understanding who we are. As Jesus was born, it was crucial to the writers of the gospel. If you remember Matthew's gospel... He starts with a genealogy to trace Jesus all the way back to Abraham. And then in Luke, Jesus is baptised, and what's the first thing to start his ministry? His genealogy as the Son of God, tracing all the way back to the first Son of God, Adam. It's always been important to trace the line of Jesus through what the prophets foretold, for his credibility as the Messiah. And the same thing is happening here. The Israelites, which are actually also referred to as God's son, there's really three God's sons in the Bible. There is Adam, there are the Israelites who are meant to fulfill all the law and be the thing that Adam couldn't be, but they couldn't do that as God's second son, and Jesus comes as God's third son and fulfills that when they, both the first two sons couldn't. And so lineage is crucial so that Israel can be called God's son. They can, they can trace their lineage right back. So genealogies are markers. They connect the past, the present, and the future. And in the book of Genesis, they are tied heavily into these statements. This is the account of. Well, the second thing uh, we learn from Genesis here uh, is that all people... I'll just leave that up. uh, That all people, after Adam and Eve, are born with a tainted image. Have a look at uh, verses 1 to 3 again. When God created mankind... He made them in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them and he named them mankind when they were created. Now listen to this. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Now notice it begins with a reference back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. From dust, Adam was formed, the son of God, made directly by God, perfect in every way. From Adam, a rib, and eve was formed. Chapter 5 verse 1 recognises that all humanity, plural, are made in the likeness of God. He's mentioning this to say our image is God. We are made in the image of God. All of humanity, humanity have that flowing through us. Yet curiously here, in verse 3, Seth is also said to be made in Adam's likeness, and Adam's own image. See, when a man and woman procreate, the baby takes on their image and likeness. And there's two, flip, uh, two parts of that coin the image of God which has flowed through humanity, but the image of the fallenness, the taintedness of humanity flowing through Adam and Eve's line. That means if we were to go back to Ancestry.com and they really had the fullness of testing of DNA and who we are, well, really, there should be a marker in there that recognises that there is something deficient in us. and We call that, and the Bible calls that, sin. See, sin is passed on. Sin is a part of us. It is not just choices that we make. It is inherently within us, and it's traced right back through our genealogy, right back through the line right back to Adam and Eve. And that's the point of it being in here. This is why in Romans 3, Paul combines a number of psalms and he combines a number of the prophets. When he's made this case that Jew and Gentile all alike are under sin, he then concludes in in chapter 3, In verse 10, he says, As it is written, quoting Psalms and prophets, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So the beginning of Genesis isn't exactly the happy, happiest place to be preaching from. If you think back last week, we saw the ravages of sin. We saw, yes, a fruit got taken. But next thing we know, there's a murder taking place. The extent and the fullness and the impact... And here we've been shown that that's been passed on through all of humanity. It's like dye put into the wash. You've put your whites in. For those who aren't like me and mix everything together, you've put your whites in. And then you've put a drop of dye in there, or maybe a bucket of dye, depending on how much you want to taint your whites. And it will permeate every fibre of your clothes. Sin is the same. It's not that you don't have the image of God inside of you. It's not that there is not good. It's not that you don't have reflections. It's not that when the Red Cross says the power of humanity as their slogan, that there's not some truth in that. That people can do good and not be Christian. In fact, do better good and not be Christians at some time. That's a reflection of what we call common grace that God resides still through his image in humanity and through his grace, he's still enabling humanity to have reflections of his goodness. But what it does mean is that every part of humanity is tainted, that there's no part of us that is unaffected by sin and so even in our good things, there are the negative. And for some of us, we have a lot of dye in our fibres for others, we have done well to cover it up with our goodness. But it's there. So the second thing we see here is that all people have a tainted image. And really, I just want to highlight one more thing. And before I do this, notice that, there's, uh, notice that there is repetition. I, I'm sure you picked it up as Michael was reading it. Now, occasionally there's a break in that repetition. But look at how emphasized the ending of each of these people is. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. Well, the wages of sin are death, we're told and it reinforces. Now we come to Enoch, and I know you're all sitting there going, what about Enoch? He didn't die. Or did he die? God took him away. Was he raptured? Or is it because he died young? He only had 365 years. Less than half of his age. It's like someone being 40 now. We don't like to talk about their death. We say, "Oh, God took him away." Maybe it's that. I don't know the answer to that. I've read extensively this week, and I think we there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of transference onto this passage, which isn't necessarily there. But what we do know is he walked faithfully with God, and he was blessed for that, even though. His earthly life was ended less than half of all the others. Now, faithfully doesn't mean he was without sin, as we'll see next week when we look at Noah. Noah was a man who walked with God, just as Enoch was. But it didn't mean he was untainted by sin. That's not what it's saying here. And so there's something in these repetitions being broken, um, I don't have time to explore all the options today, but I just don't want to leave you thinking why didn't you talk about it. So maybe you can do some work on that and come and see me. But I think the the main point of all this. So we've seen that uh, we've seen that we've seen that there's genealogies are great connecting points between the past, uh, present, and future, along with the other markers. And we've seen that all of humanity is tainted by sin. But the main point, I think, in this whole passage is that this is your family tree. If you think this is irrelevant for you, then you're kind of missing the point of why it's in the Bible. See, the Bible is very much like subscribing to Ancestry.com. We just don't charge you $600 a month or a year or whatever it is. See, the same statements that Ancestry.com makes about the opening of their website are the same about the opening of the Bible. Learning the stories of people in our past can help us understand where we really belong. See, answering the question of who am I will lead you at some point back to the family tree of Genesis 5. We all trace our ancestry to Adam and Eve at some point. Now the next few chapters will also show that we all trace our ancestry to Noah at some point. But then it gets very tricky. When we get to Genesis 11, as people are trying to make their way to God, thinking that they can uh, reach God, God looks down and goes, what are these people doing? And he confuses their language and sends them to the ends of the earth. And so it all gets a bit more confusing from there. And I'm glad that George, if you remember George Stathios, he's coming in, he's going to preach Genesis 11 to us, so I'm very happy about that. But it's a great passage to show what our purpose from the ends of the earth is. But see, sin never ended with the flood, and the issue that is raised here in Genesis 5 remains the same issues of all humanity, every race, every colour, every creed. Wherever your boundary markers are, what's irrelevant? Our lineage as sons and daughters of God has been cut off. So we have inherited separation from God because the image and likeness of Adam was passed on to his children, and they were passed on to his children, and her children, and their children, and, their children, and constantly, and it's to the present day. Now I just want you to turn your Bibles, and hopefully you have them, to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 17. I'm going to read that for you. This is why Genesis 5 is so crucial for us to understand. Because when we get to the New Testament, if we don't understand it, then we don't really know what's happening in many respects. So this is Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now I mentioned the three sons of God earlier, Adam, Israel, and, Jesus. and here Paul is picking up on this theme. He's saying God's first son, Adam, made from the dust of the earth and breathed life, breathed life into by God, was unable to fulfill the requirements of righteousness that he was called to be. And through our ancestry in him, we trace our destiny, our purpose, our who am I's to the consequences of sin, which is death. We have no lineage beyond Adam. It ends in Genesis 5 for us. There is nothing beyond that. But the good news that Genesis 5 points to is that there is a lineage available to us beyond Adam. But we must be born again. Can you see why this is so important for us to understand? If we are not born again, then we remain descendants of the first Adam, the first man, the first son. So we must be born again. And when we are born again, we enter into a new lineage. God the Son in the flesh the second Adam, the second son of God, was able to fulfill the righteous requirements that Adam couldn't. And why is that? Well, because he is God. Because he is not descended from Adam. He is descended directly from God, conceived of the Virgin Mary. And so when we put our faith and our trust in him, we are grafted into this new lineage. We are adopted as God's sons and daughters. We are born again. Your old birth certificate gets thrown away. Don't do that, by the way. Cause you all sorts of grief. I was born again on Australia Day, 1997, up at Katoomba Youth Convention. Some of you don't know the exact date, and that's fine. But for me, it was a moment where I gave my life to Christ and I stopped making Christians walk the plank over sewage. It was a wonderful moment for them, but more so for me. You see, this is is so crucial to understand who you are. But the only way to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And as intolerant as that is to to the world, and as even intolerant that might sound as you proclaiming that to anybody, that is the truth. Because we all descend from Adam, but all of us have access through a new genealogy to be born again through faith in the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is the only way to be set free from your old life and to be brought into this new life of Christ. Where your lineage doesn't finish with Adam, it doesn't finish with death. In fact, it never ends. Because you will walk with God. You will live with him and you will be here with him Forever, ever, and that begins from the moment you are born again, as the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you and has the great purpose of renewing you from the inside out, so that when you stand on that day and you are raised imperishable in bodily form, a bodily resurrection to enter the city, Revelation says, where no one Will impure, nothing impure will enter that city. You will be raised as you were always created to be. Not in both the image of God and the image of Adam, but in the image of God. So you will enter into that city, into the new heavens and the new earth, to forever live in the joy and peace that comes genealogies are so crucial in the Bible because this is how we know who we are. So how much does it cost? Well, you can go to Ancestry.com and you can pay them to go as far back as you can to Adam, $600 a year or whatever it is. Or you can be born again and enter into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Well, actually, it costs you nothing. Because God has done it all. It is a gift and we call that grace. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Romans 8, 1-2 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then further on in verse 15 The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. My question for you this morning is whose lineage are you holding on to? Are you still living as the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve? Putting your hope that something in this world will bring you glory. Or are you living as the sons and daughters of God's own son, conceived through the Holy Spirit, God himself, God the Son, destined for riches and glory of a world to come, as 1 Peter says, that will never perish, spoil or fade. Well, one doesn't even compare to the other, yet we pour all our life, all our finances, all our time into building things on this earth. And we struggle to grasp the gift that comes from the one that actually promises and fulfills and gives you a life everlasting. So if you've never put your trust in Jesus, let me encourage you today to move from death in Adam to life in Christ. And you do that by simply confessing admitting who you are in Adam's line, asking forgiveness and committing yourself to being a child of God, following the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I know most of us have done that already sometime in our life, but are you still living as a lineage, as a, as a son or daughter of Adam and Eve? Let me encourage you to recognise that, once again confess, move from that and come back to God. I know some of you are very discouraged at the moment and I know some of you are very encouraged. You can look around and I can guarantee the whole gamut of human reality is right in this congregation of ours because that is the reality of a fallen world. We can't stand up here and say, hey, let's all be joyful. Because not everyone feels that. But there's a good reason for that. Because we are still in this battle between sinful reality, our sinful flesh and the spirit. Well, get on board with the spirit. Go that way. Do what you need need to do. And just... Grab hold of that hope. It's all free. How beautiful is that? Free to us. But it came at a great cost. The one that you follow, bearing the sin of you on the cross, being destroyed in bodily form, excruciatingly, because of his great love for you. Let me encourage you to think of all the things that you may be putting your hope in in this world. Genesis 5 is our lineage in Adam. But let's cast that off and start living for Christ. Let's confess that. And um, I'm going to pray now. I'm going to give time for that, actually. I want you to lay your stuff down to God. And I want you to hand it all over to him. And I want you to ask him, to renew you and commit yourself again into his his plan for your life. Well, I'm gonna let you do that in your own heart and in your own time. So let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, while we read a chapter like Genesis five and we think, yeah, just historical record, we know it's not, Lord. We know it's not just that because we are part of your historical record and all of us can trace our lineage back to Genesis 5. So Father God, right now, we're going to spend some time in our hearts just confessing where we have continued to follow the line of Adam and and put our hope in this world and ask you, Lord, Lord, Just to renew us and bring us back into the right way of living, so that we can bring glory to you as you one day will bring glory to us. Hear our prayers, Lord.